Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Welcome back to our last lesson in the book of Thessalonians as we look at what life is like when we're waiting on King Jesus. Again, Paul encourages the Thessalonians. He's seen their faith, love, and hope. And we've tried to unpack a little bit of what faith is, a little bit of what love is. And last week, last two weeks, we've looked at how love produces longing, of how love produces sacrifice and joy, how love produces holiness. And lastly, that love produces love. When you come to know Christ, when you come to believe that He is Savior and Lord, it will produce something in you that enhances every part of your life so that the people around you benefit, But most importantly, God is glorified in light of it. But today we look at the end of the letter of Thessalonians and we look at what hope entails when we're waiting on King Jesus. So what is hope? Well, let's read in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, when Paul refers to those who are asleep, he's using a metaphor and it's used all over scripture. In fact, this is how Jesus would describe Lazarus when he knew that he had died and the disciples began to realize that later on. You see, why would Paul use a word like this to describe death? Because people who are asleep wake up. This is the point. This is the great hope of Christian faith that death is not the final word not only for our lives, but for every single person who has hope in Christ. We are reminded every single time we remember Christ's death and resurrection that death can take nothing that God will not give back. In fact, Paul is emphatic on this point in 1 Corinthians 15 of how important resurrection is. He says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, there's no way around this. If there is no resurrection, there is no hope. This is, this is the, the truth that we confess as believers that if there's not something that will bring us back to life, what are we truly doing? You see, our lives would only be as good as we can muscle them on this earth. No amount of suffering or loss will ever mean anything. Every event in our lives, every single event, will simply be a chance occurrence in an arbitrary world. This is the point that Paul is trying to make, that if there's no resurrection, we will always be striving for pleasure, only to be met by a grave. But if there is a resurrection... If there is resurrection, it means everything. It means God is working towards a beautiful end. And Revelation describes this place where sin and death are eradicated. There's no more mourning or sickness or sadness or pain. God has finally cultivated this jungle of a world back into a garden. And suffering can become meaningful and joy can become shared. And more importantly, it means God can be glorified no matter what. Because although we may fall asleep, we will wake up. And this is why Paul finishes his thought in 1 Corinthians with this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive." 
This is why Paul can say we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Those who grieve the dead and don't have hope, they're sad because they'll never see those people again because the end of their earthly existence has come because those moments serve as reminders of their own imminent dread. The physical decay, it's coming for them too, but not for us. You see, we grieve, but we do so as people who have hope because when we confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, our goodbye is simply a see you later. And of course, we still grieve, we're still sad, we still acknowledge that death is a terrible thing. We don't cheapen the awfulness of death, we simply acknowledge the magnificence of God over it. That there is a greater power at work that death cannot touch. So what is our hope? That when Jesus appears in glory, we will too. And Paul begins explaining and describing what that appearance will be like. And he says this, that his appearance will be obvious. It says this in verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, one of the obvious questions that come up when we start talking about the return of Christ is, well, when will it be? And it seems like the Thessalonians are starting to ask a lot of these types of questions. And one of the questions that they were really concerned with is, if we die before Christ returns, will we still get to enjoy his presence? And Paul begins to address that. That's why he starts this entire section. He's saying, we don't grieve like those who don't have hope. Because even if people die before Christ's return, they will simply be resurrected from the dead. His point here is that it isn't just those who are presently alive who will enjoy the presence of Christ at at his return, but every single person who has called him king. You see, his appearance will be obvious. And he's assuring them that they will not miss this event. He says that when Christ comes, it will be loud. And he actually uses a word here which has become synonymous in theology with Christ's second coming. It's the Greek word parousia. And this Greek word is simply translated in English as coming. And when the Bible was translated from Greek into Latin, that word became Advent. That word became the the name in which we use the season to celebrate leading up to Christmas, Christ's coming. And the reason this word parousia is significant, even for us today, is because it is a word used when a king would come. If a king was returning for battle, from battle, for instance, they, the people would hear about it and they would all flock to the king outside of the city and welcome him back in. In fact, we see this exact same thing happen with the Roman emperor Vespasian and his son Titus. These were the people who destroyed the Jewish temple in 70 AD, totally destroyed it. And in fact, there is an, an arch in Rome, the Arch of Titus that Domitian had built that actually shows a depiction of the procession happening of Vespasian and Titus coming in from this victorious battle over the Jewish people. And you know what Paul's doing? He's saying that same sort of procession is going to happen when our king has his victory, when our king returns. He says Christ will come in a command of resurrection and the entire church will go to greet that king in the air, in the sky, and usher him into his kingdom. And we'll have celebration and a feast and festivities and we will acknowledge his victory over sin and death. 
And this idea is just confirmed by the other word Paul uses when he says that we'll meet Jesus in the air. It has these same similar connotations. And we notice here that this language of a command, of an archangel, of a trumpet, they're all reminiscent of what had been prophesied up to this point in Daniel and Revelation. And Paul refers to these scenes both here and in 1 Corinthians because he wants them to know this will be obvious. You will not miss it. And I think it's important to note here that this isn't the rapture as typically thought. You know, Paul isn't, doesn't mention anything here about a tribulation or about anything, anyone being left behind or about a second chance for those who saw the glory of Christ but now can make a decision. Paul's point throughout this letter is that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated right now through Christ's death and resurrection. And the Thessalonians, they're already starting to embody the kingdom ethic And all that they're waiting on, all that we are waiting on, is the climactic moment when Jesus finishes the job. That's what Paul begins to describe here. And he tells the Thessalonians to encourage one another with these words. You haven't missed it. You haven't missed the appearance of Jesus. And when it comes, it will include the whole church. Paul says that Jesus' appearance will be obvious, and he says it'll also be a surprise. Look here in chapter 5. He says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness." You see, his parents will be a surprise. But what Paul is pointing out is depending upon who you are will depend upon what that surprise is like. If you are someone who confesses Christ as Lord and Savior, that surprise will be a whole lot more like a birthday party. But if you are somebody who has rejected Christ, that surprise will be a whole lot more like getting caught with your hand in the cookie jar. You see, this scene should sound familiar to us. It's the same scene that Jesus describes in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, and the Thessalonians were clearly familiar with this. Everyone had the expectation that when Christ would come, it would be like a powerful shock of lightning happening immediately and unexpectedly. He says, Paul mentions that that people would be saying peace and security, which should remind us of the context that he's writing in, right? The empire of Rome, they had that slogan, the Pax Romana. It was embedded into the very fabric of their life in Latin for peace of Rome. And this would have been a boast on anyone who was living outside of Christ. Who could possibly shake the foundations of the Roman Empire? And Paul's saying, Jesus can, Jesus will, and it will happen in a moment. Like pains of childbirth just suddenly springing upon them. And Paul's really just taking a jab at all of those who had, who had really just negative feelings about who Christ was and what he would accomplish. He sees Christ as king, and they're waiting on him, and he's coming. But for the children of light, Paul says, this will be a pleasant surprise, a moment of glory, a celebration of life. He says the first time Jesus came into the world, the first time it was celebrated by a few shepherds, by a few angels, not this time. The next time Jesus comes, the whole world will know the reigning king. He says in light of all this, verse 6, he continues on, in light of all this, let us not sleep as others do but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, 
let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You see, Paul believes that knowing the return of Christ is imminent should change how we live, that our lives will become different as we wait on King Jesus. And he starts to outline a bit of this in verse 12. Listen to what he says. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. In light of waiting on King Jesus, What do we do? Well, first off, we respect and love those who have given their life to lead the church. You see, one of the reasons that ministers decide to go into ministry is not because they want to build bigger buildings. It's not because they want to have fame or glory. It's because they simply want to nurture souls. They want to help them become the people that God has always called them to be, to do the same things Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians to do, to grow in faith, love, and hope as we await King Jesus. And the more and more that we, that we resist their authority, the more and more we resist their, their desire to want to lead us to springs of, of living water, the more and more we resist their willingness to want to help us and push us and challenge us and encourage us, the more we are beginning to resist the very foundations of what God has commissioned them to do. Our hope is that we would not, we would not neglect the authority that God has put in our life, but instead we would surrender to it, knowing that we are truly surrendering to the authority of God to his will, to his goodness. The other thing he says is to help those who are discouraged. You see, some people, they're gonna fall into laziness and they just need to be admonished. They need to pick up the pace. They need to continue to live the life God has called them to. They have a purpose and they're not done yet. See, some people were beginning to think that because Christ was coming soon, they could just kind of forget everything. They could just quit their jobs and do whatever because they were like, well, he could come any minute. But the purpose of what God has called us to is not done until he returns. And it's a surprise to us. We won't know when it will be. We just know it will be obvious. We know it will be good. But we still have to live on mission. We still have to help those who are discouraged by their lack of spiritual growth. We still have to help those who are weak, who are, who are struggling with physical ailments or by their lack of progress. And the point of all this is, is that we must be patient. We must be people of encouragement as we continue to live in the waiting. Paul says all of this, and he says, Rejoice, pray, be grateful, for this is the will of God. You see, our earthly circumstances no longer define our existence when we know we are resurrection people, heaven-bound. And the point of all of this, he says, is that we would live in the world as we wait on the king, and that in doing so that we could test everything, Make sure what you believe is in alignment with the truth. Make sure that worldly beliefs aren't sneaking in. They're not poking their head into your discipleship because the reality is the world is constantly competing for your attention. 
And you have to take your thoughts captive. You have to keep moving forward. This is the point of what Paul is saying, that we would begin to see how the Thessalonians waited on the king in faith, love, and hope, and how we can do so as well. And so I end this class as Paul ends his letter with this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you again for joining us through our study through the letter of 1 Thessalonians. We encourage you to join our study through the letter of 2 Thessalonians. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.